just keep being you. Welcome to the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Horlbogen. I'm on a mission to foster civility, respect, and integrity with a dash of sartorial elegance in the boardroom and beyond. And I invite you to join me on my quest. Never have to be like anybody else cause you're my favorite person when you're being yourself. A true original right from the start, straight from the heart, a great work of art, you stand apart. Welcome to the next episode of the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast. Um, my guest today is Lisa Bowman, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her background. Uh, Lisa is a survivor of workplace sexual harassment who shows women how to find their courage to stand up and speak out. After four years of exceeding expectations in her role, Lisa was terminated from her role as the Global Chief Marketing Officer of United Way Worldwide in January of 2020 in retaliation for reporting sexual harassment of herself and others by a peer on the executive team. As a female leader, Lisa felt that to stay silent was to be complicit in condoning this and providing a path forward for this behavior to continue. She went public with her story via HuffPost in November of 2020, fueling significant media coverage that subsequently led to the resignation of United Way's longstanding CEO, on February 9, 2021. By raising her voice, Lisa opened the door for others to follow, sharing their similar experiences during their tenure at the world's largest nonprofit. She has become one of the latest public faces of Me Too. Lisa has become a fierce and vocal advocate speaking about her experience to help others find their voice as well and end this systemic issue so that all women have access to safe, fair, and dignified workplaces. So I am absolutely honored to have you here today, Lisa. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Oh, Michelle, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. And I am absolutely looking forward to our conversation. Great. So um, obviously the intro explained, um, gave some background of your, your situation. And I know that you did go public with your story, uh, your experience of harassment and retaliation at the United Way. Why did you choose to do so? You know, like my, like my bio says, I really felt that as a senior leader um, and the senior most female that this was happening to within my work environment, it was my responsibility to raise awareness of it. Um, I, for me to stay silent really was the same thing as being complicit in it. If I was quiet about it, it would be swept under the rug and allowed to continue. And I just couldn't in good conscience do that. Several of the women um, that were harassed were more junior than myself, were women of color. I knew they were not going to stand up against a white male C-suite executive. Mm -hmm. um, and that was obligation on my part too. I needed to raise awareness of what was happening. That's really incredible and very, very brave of you. I know we, we spoke off camera about the experience and the, um, the repercussions of doing so. It really is a, a it's a selfless act um, for a cause that, as you know, I advocate strongly for as well. Now, I noticed that Lisa, both the um, COO and the board chair of United Way are women and they're also women of color. Um, what support how, how did that play out with you, you know, going, coming forward to try to speak out for these targets? 
Yeah, that's a great question because there's so much talk about women supporting or not supporting other women um, in the workplace. So let me address those two separately. Um, you're right, both the board chair and the former COO are both women of color. Um, when I notified the board chair of what was happening, which I did in October of 2020 um, via a letter that went to both full boards of United Way, um, I received back a response that told me that they would look into it. And that was it. Um, they never gave me an opportunity to speak to them. They never asked for my side of the story. Uh, they conducted a full-on investigation without ever speaking with me or any of the other women, um, because there were multiple women. In addition to myself, there were two other women that had filed EEOC charges within the past year, and subsequently more than 20 former female employees that came forward with a written letter to the board stating that the behavior of myself and the others that came forward was not unique. They had all either witnessed or experienced this during their time at United Way and put together a very comprehensive list of suggestions um, for the board and offered to speak to the board about their experiences to give the board some context. And the board completely dismissed them. They responded with a letter um, that did not address anything in the letter, but talked about the things they were doing to support women in the workplace during this challenging time, like offering flexible work hours. So I got literally zero support uh, from either of the boards. And there are two. Um, like you said, the global board chair is a female and a female of color. Mm -hmm. The head of the US board uh, was actually male and he has now stepped in as the interim CEO. Regarding the COO, um, absolutely complicit in not taking any action or giving me any protection. Um, what's really interesting is that United Way had um, several layoffs and offered a voluntary separation package to try and manage through some financial issues. And she announced at the end of February uh, that she was taking the voluntary separation package. And so obviously left with compensation because it was a voluntary set package and then popped up literally just two weeks later as a very senior HR person uh, for a major res restaurant brand, um, which really made me think about the fact that the hiring process is somewhat flawed, right? You do a background check on people. Understand. But they clearly didn't, they clearly didn't Google. Um, because this is somebody that, although the press release that they put out talks about the fabulous culture that she created across 1800 United Ways, what they need to understand is that during her tenure, and she was actually chief culture officer who became chief operating officer, but according to their own investigation, there were major gaps in culture. She was responsible for that. And during her tenure, there were three EEOC charges filed for this behavior within a one year period. Um, so none of that comes up. And now they've hired this person who they think is an HR superstar, um, but was responsible for leaving this place in a mess and clearly jumped ship when the going got tough because you don't land a senior role like that two weeks after announcing that you're taking a voluntary set package that had clearly been in the works. That's... Um... That's not actually surprising to hear, right, Lisa? We've nope. talked at length, and and that's part of um, our work of raising awareness about 
um, accountability, right? With the boards of directors and, and, and accountability for protecting, particularly senior people and organizations who just sort of, they do, they get to walk out with their sweet package and life, you know, is great for them. And, and they like they either retire early and they're, they retire wealthy or they like this person move on and get another senior role. I'm sure being very well compensated for um, it's, there's a lot of things wrong with what's, how things are handled. Um, and uh, what I find shocking is, I mean, I worked in the nonprofit sector as well, but it was, it was a very historical nonprofit in the area, but my, nothing compared to the range and scope of United Way. So for an organization with that much public, like such a public arena in the news so much, so touching every corner of the earth, literally, to have that kind of response to what you brought to the board, that's shocking. Because did they think it wouldn't come out? Did they think, you know, it's almost like the, the here it is, it, your story's out there for the world, which is means it's out there for United Way's reputation. So it's just a, it's really a management crisis to me. I would agree. I think that from an accountability perspective, you know, the board needs to remember that their overall responsibility is to provide governance and help with oversight and strategic vision for the organization, um, not to protect the CEO. And I, you know, I, I believe that I was very kind because I did have my attorney sort of fire a warning shot um, before I went to the media. Uh, she did inform, out of courtesy, mm -hmm. um, their attorney that I was, in fact, speaking to the media. And whether they just didn't think that I would do it or didn't anticipate this kind of coverage, I don't know. What I did hear is that internally um, from former co-workers after the first article broke, and to your point, there was very significant coverage, um, I, you know, what I had been told is that the CEO completely dismissed the coverage and said, oh, it's just one article. Don't worry, it's going to blow over. Um, and clearly it didn't mm -hmm. um, because there was a story there. And the, the two publications that brought forth the bulk of the story, um, the Huff Post and Emily Peck, um, Emily is a known reporter mm -hmm. in this area. This is what she does. Um, and so she's very, very credible. And then Yelena Genova at Business Insider, another credible publication. Um, these two women are investigative reporters. So they checked the facts. They did their diligence. Um, they had no allegiance to me. Right. They saw a story that needed to be told. And they stepped forward to tell it with fact in hand. Not fake news. Not fake news, right? Uh, you know, I, I applaud. I am, I, I've become a big fan of um, many journalists. Um, uh, Gretchen Carlson included. She's done yes. amazing work raising awareness. Um, it's, you know, thank goodness for people like that that are willing to, like you say, do their due diligence, dig into the story and put it out there. Um, it's not, and you know, I, I sometimes, I mean, you can probably relate to this, even after what they've done to us, speaking out about it still almost feels a little bit like a betrayal because we were that that not a betrayal, just sort of like, I guess that's the only word I can think of right now, but because we were that devoted and dedicated to our work and to our job, right. And to the cause and the mission of the nonprofit, but it, it's, it's not 
a betrayal. It's actually it's actually a brave act to protect those nonprofits because if if something's if these things aren't addressed, we've seen over the past year how many businesses close. It's like no one is above and beyond being, you know, getting taken down at that at this point. Um, financially, like you said, there already were struggles in the organization. Financially, they were making cuts. They were trying to. So in this sort of this sort of um, spotlight, you know, it can have ramifications, but that's the only way things will change. If no one knows, right? How can, how will things change? Right. And so, you know, to that point too, and you mentioned Gretchen and honestly, I owe Gretchen a huge debt of gratitude. Um, she and I met through a mutual friend right after this happened. And she was so gracious in terms of navigating and guiding and giving me support. But to your point, if you don't speak out, then there's no visibility of this and it continues to perpetuate in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I know if Gretchen were sitting here with us, she would talk about this too, but arbitration and NDAs are the biggest tool of suppression that companies use to keep people quiet. And many of the other women that came forward at United Way, those 20 plus that wrote the letter to the board, many of them either didn't speak out because they had NDAs mm -hmm. um, or, to your earlier point, they were so loyal to the mission and didn't want to hurt the organization that while they were there, they tolerated this behavior mm. and then left signing an NDA as part of their exit package um, and never spoke about it again. And I had women that had worked at United Way that reached out to me that said, I, you know, I wish I would have talked about this. I wish I would have done this. Maybe it wouldn't have happened to you if I would have spoken up earlier. Mm. And for me, back to your original question, part of it was that if I didn't speak up, there's a history of this behavior there. This was going to continue. There was going to be another woman that was subjected to this. And, you know, I almost said another victim. And mm. I don't like to use the word victim because I think when you're in a situation like this, you have two choices. And, and you can be a victim or you can choose to be a survivor. And for me, I chose the latter. I was not going to let somebody victimize me. Um, and, you know, this is, it's not the first time that this has happened in the workplace to me or probably to you or any of the other women, right? You can go on LinkedIn, you can go on social and you see the stories of how people have navigated their careers. And this is just another instance of that. But this was, this was the final straw for me. Um, you know, enough was enough and I, I wasn't going to take it anymore. Yeah. And I'd like to revisit, um, to your point about how you, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> uh, Emily agreed to, you know, take your story and, and tell it so well and do her work. Um, you, you mentioned when we spoke previously, um, a reaction that you received regarding your story from other very, um, well-known news outlets. Um, questioning the not the validity but the seriousness of your experience. Do you want to share that? Yeah, I, I will. Um, I'm not going to name who it was, but um, when I started talking with the media, um, there was a particular very uh, national newspaper, if mm -hmm. you will, and in sharing my story with the reporter, um, one of the things that she said to me was, she said, "It doesn't sound like you were." sexually assaulted. Am I correct in that? And I said, that's correct. I, I was not assaulted. And she said, well, I, I really don't see where there's a story here. Mm. And I was so taken aback that 
she said that, um, I, that I just simply said to her and I, you know, I'm going to apologize for the language, but I said, I'm really sorry that I wasn't assaulted in my office after hours to give you a story to talk about. Thank you for your time. Um, and my language may have been a little more colorful than that, but I, I, I was shocked. I mean, I just could not believe that again, as a female, that she felt that what I had endured wasn't worthy of talking about because I was not physically assaulted. Um, and that just made me realize that people tend to marginalize it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just conversation. It's just that um, Andrew Cuomo, right? We've, we've got all of this going on in the news. Well, I, I didn't mean to be offensive. You don't touch somebody in the workplace. You don't touch somebody without their permission. Mm -hmm. um, and there are certain things that you don't say. And I, I do recognize that with all of this going on, we're swinging really far towards one side of the spectrum where you almost can't say anything anymore right, right. to people. But if you look at the statistics about how many women have been harassed in the workplace, it's like at some point I want to stand up and just say to these men, hey guys, we are here to do a job. Um, I am not here to fulfill whatever messed up vision you've got or power trip you're on. I'm here to do a job and therefore I want to be recognized for the contributions I bring in my work, um, not the way my clothes are fitting me today or how my hair looks. Yeah, yeah. It's so, that marginalization, it's so true because, and I think um, coming on the other side of it, you know, by, by that reporter minimizing your experience that's, that's like psychological abuse. That is, you know, you can't, you can't put, you can't, you don't get to judge other people's pain or other people's experience or other people's sense of defilement, right? Whether it's verbal, um, just um, people's expressions, the way they look at you, that's, you can't say that that's acceptable, which basically that person was, was doing because there wasn't actually a physical assault. And I think, that's a unique part of your story as well in that for other women to understand that behavior is still sexual harassment. That behavior, right? Even if there's not a physical touch, contact, arm, it's still a violation of your space. And as a woman, or even mm -hmm. as a man, I mean, we know this happens the other way too, which is another whole podcast episode, but that doesn't have to be tolerated. And yeah. It, it, you're right, it does happen the other way too. But if you look at the definition and if you read the language um, under Title VII, right, it does not have to be a physical assault to right. qualify as sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, your point about being judged and having somebody marginalize my experience based on their perspective, I think is a really valid one, right? Mm -hmm. don't, don't play judge and jury. Right. from my experience, because you didn't live it. Um, and for that reporter to say that was so unbelievably uninformed in terms of this topic, that there's no way anyway, I would have wanted her to cover the story. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I ended up being very lucky because like I said, Emily's got a background in doing this. Um, she knows the stories, this is, this is her expertise. Yeah, and I think, um... It also is, um, I'm actually conducting a, a survey right now. If you go to my website, 
thegentlewomanboss.com, there's a link right on my landing page to take a survey about if you have, what did you wish you, the tools you you had, or what did you wish you knew before you experienced workplace abuse of any kind? And what's coming in right now at the highest percentage is a better understanding of of the EEOC's, you know, role in, uh, in other words, what's a protected class? What is considered sexual harassment? What are my rights? Um, it, am I in a protected class? There's so little, I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know any of that before I was fired. I did all my research about that after the fact. Had I known what I know now, good Lord, you know, I, oh, yeah. I could have added a lot more to my litigation yeah. now with what I know now, but it's um there's i think feel like there it falls on us as humans us as people we're responsible ourselves to educate ourselves but also hr has a role um in making sure their employees are educated about you know and that's another whole part of it that hr is complicit so often and they're they are there to protect the organization we talked about this previously they're there they they want to keep their job so they're going to do what's best for their boss and for the organization. And so many times the employees don't get the support. They don't get the information. I mean, a poster in a hallway on the way to the restroom, how many of us would stop and read that, right? To understand our rights and, mm-hmm. and all that. And I wanted to go back. Um, speaking of the EEOC, do you want to talk a little bit about what that experience has been like for you? <laughs> you know, I um, I kind of joke that I've become an amateur lawyer here because you really, it is not an easy process to mm-hmm. navigate. Um, it's a lengthy process. It is a costly process. Well, you can do it on your own. Um it's, it's difficult to do, candidly, without mm-hmm. an attorney. But, I, you know, that aside, I'm, I want to back up and address one point that I just heard you say about HR and people needing to be educated. Um, HR is never going to educate you mm-hmm. on your rights uh, when you've got an issue with the company. And what was so interesting in my case is that we had tons of policies and trainings and manuals and statements and all of the stuff that you have to check the box and say, yes, we do this the right way. Mm -hmm. But if you don't follow those policies and procedures, it doesn't matter if you have them, right? You can have banker's boxes full of paper. Um, But if you don't adhere to that, then none of it matters. I do, to your point, I I wish I would have known before my termination um, what to do, because Mm -hmm. I certainly would have filed with the EEOC while still employed. Mm -hmm. I think my mistake was that I trusted my employer Mm -hmm. to do the right thing. And I went to them, I followed the process, right? And the process said that if you are aware of even potentially harassing behavior, um, you are obligated to report it to HR and failure to do so will carry consequences up to and potentially including termination, right? So they had all of the right words there, I trusted them. I believed them. I took them at their word. Yeah. Um, but had I had I known, honestly, I would have filed my EEOC charge before I left. Um, so, you know, the one piece of guidance I would give to people is if you're in this situation, don't wait mm-hmm. until you lose your job or your job is at risk to start doing your diligence. The minute that you feel you're at risk, start learning. Um, there's tons of resources out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, and candidly, even before you're at risk, when you're deciding to accept a new job, 
you want to look at that paperwork Absolutely. and look for things that could be a red flag or there are arbitration clauses in there mm-hmm. um, because those arbitration clauses are used to hide bad behavior by mandating that if there's an issue, they will arbitrate that um, and with an arbiter of the company's choosing and that you don't go to the EEOC. That's just a way of hiding bad behavior. So if you see that in an employment agreement or a contract, you should be thinking to yourself, why is this there? Do I really want to sign this? Because um, I can tell you for me, I will never sign an employment agreement that's got that in there after mm-hmm. this experience. Yeah. Hindsight 2020, right? It's so true that because I had a very similar experience, I followed I followed the direction in the handbook. They did not, um, which is in my favor in my case, but, and it is that trust factor because, um, and again, I don't think anyone ever comes forward um, because I want to bring down a company. We come forward because we want to protect the reputation of the company. We want things to be fixed before they blow up out of proportion or before. So the intent is um, genuine, right? And when you, when it's, when you get the kind of response we both receive from the employer, which is basically kicked out the back door, that is such a betrayal of our core, right? We, I know we talked about the, the damage that results from retaliation and wrongful termination for people that speak up is not just loss of a job or a paycheck or a salary or, or your, what, what, how else have you, if you don't mind sharing, Lisa, um, wh- what experiences have you had in the ramifications of damage to you and costs to you? Yeah, I, that's a great question, Michelle, because there really are two facets to that damage, right? There's the financial implications and then there's sort of the personal or emotional implications. And for me, I, I loved my job at United Way. Um, I mean, I left a 15-year career at UPS, but I wasn't necessarily looking to leave right. because I got a great opportunity to go to United Way and do what I do as a marketer for a bigger purpose, which was helping some person somewhere that I was likely never going to meet have a better tomorrow because of the work I did today or yesterday. Mm. And that was so exciting to me. And I loved my job and my job was very enmeshed with my identity. Um, So all of a sudden, this was the first time since I was in my early 20s that I hadn't had a job and I've never been fired from a job. And it was like that, oh my gosh, who am I now? I don't don't have my job. I'm not, I'm just Lisa Bowman, private citizen, Um, which is not nearly as exciting and purposeful, if you will. Um, So for me, I had to find ways to sort of overcome that and really lean in. I started doing a lot of consulting um, with purpose-driven organizations and strategic advising to really find that sense of purpose to guide me through this. Um, But I will say it's it's been tough. I mean, I still have really bad days, more often than I'd like to a year past this. And it's made it very hard for me, candidly, to be able to go look for my next role and be able to feel like I'm ready to come in sometimes and bring that capacity because there's still this unresolved issue yeah, hanging I, over. I can relate to that. Absolutely. Yeah. So 
you know, there's that, but then on the financial side too, people think that when you lose a job, it's just that, oh, you don't have a paycheck. Um, it is so much more than that, right? Financially, it's you don't have a paycheck. You are incurring legal fees to battle a wrongful termination. Mm -hmm. You are losing all of the other benefits that people sometimes don't even think about. Um, I mean, I lost my job in February. I had to start over with a new deductible on my healthcare plan. I had to get on a new healthcare plan, which was way more expensive mm -hmm. and had worse coverage than the plan that I had at United Way. Um, as an individual, you cannot put away as much money pre-tax as you can with a corporate 401k or 503b in a nonprofit. So I lost the ability. Number one, I didn't have money coming in. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even put money away if I had wanted to channel money from my savings account, for example, um, and be able to save for my retirement. I didn't have the ability to do that. You've got a very small amount as an individual that you can put away each year compared to the 26,500 that I could put away. Loss of the match, um, all of this impacts my retirement, mm -hmm. right? Because I've now been financially derailed for well over a year with no savings, um, none of this. And then there's sort of the career because when I joined United Way, what I specifically said to the CEO was that I spent the first 15 years of my career essentially with UPS. And I was so thrilled to be joining United Way that I was looking forward to this being chapter two and ending my career here and that the next 15 years were going to be spent at United Way. So really from my perspective, they stole a full 10 years of my career. Um, and that's just, it's disheartening. Um, you know, like everybody else, I've got expenses and, um, you know, thankfully, I was able to get unemployment and some of the uh, extra because of the timing with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, had it not been for that, I really would have been in, in worse shape, candidly. That's an excellent point, Lisa, because I was going to mention that not only did you have to have this horrific, you know, betrayal and, and work experience, it happened during the pandemic. I mean, you said it was February. And the pandemic, I mean, here in, I'm in Massachusetts, Boston was the hub of the breakout, thanks, thanks to that big seminar. Um, we were in lockdown March 6, 7. We, we, were, we were quarantined. We were, we were locked down. The, the TJ Maxx was closed. Home Goods was closed. It was crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, for you to have to, in a sense, maybe a blessing, because you, you, it was okay to just stay home and do the work you need to do. But at the same time, timing it was like, it's horrible to have, I mean, my heart goes out to you because it's that difficult enough to go through those bad days. And then when you add the pandemic on top of it, there's a lot. Yeah, it was, um, it was really tough to your point. There was all of this happening and then the pandemic. And I mean, I, I had lined up like right at the end of February. Um, I had already started to line up so many meetings and networking coffees and all of those things in search of my next role, just knowing, um, pandemic aside, right, that it was going to take time. And then boom, two weeks later, we're full on in the pandemic and all of that went out the window. Um, and it has been a really horribly tough year. And I will say that with no shame, because I think we've all had a horribly tough year. Um, 
there's different layers of tough, right? Mm -hmm. There are people that have lost loved ones during this past year, haven't been able to see people, have been geographically separated uh, because of lockdowns and travel restrictions and things like that. But, it, you know, it's we each deal with it in our own way. And for me, it's been just an absolutely gut-wrenching, candidly, past year. Yep, I can relate to that. I, and just listening to you talk the past 10 minutes or so, I just hope there's like a a CEO or a director on a board that listens to this and understands this is a human being's life that you are, you are just attempting or destroying or trying to destroy by this kind of behavior. There are human beings behind this, real people, right? And I think it, um, when I, I love when people come on and they're just so honest and candid like that, because it just helps me to see number one, I'm not alone, but also that this, there's a real human behind this, right? And a story and someone that's affected on all these levels. So thank you for being, thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, you know, when you said that, that just like really hit me right here because people don't realize that I am not an HR case. I am not an EEOC charge. I'm a person and I'm a person that this organization just tossed aside like garbage because they didn't want to handle their problem and instead chose to make me the problem. Wow. A little bit out of a, at a loss for words after that half hour um, with Lisa. Thank you to everyone that tuned into part one of my uh, podcast episode interviewing Lisa Bowman, former global CMO of United Way Worldwide and the latest face of the Me Too movement. Uh, although her story has been told in print, this is the first time she's spoken about it in a live interview. Um, this will be available on YouTube for you to watch and as well as on um, any podcast outlet where you like to listen to your podcast. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, look for part two of the episode next week and um, see you then. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Gentlewoman Boss podcast. Please remember to download my podcast so you can listen whenever and wherever you'd like. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much if you've already done so. It really does help with ratings and distribution of the show. I also invite you to email me if you'd like to share your story or if you have a question you'd like answered on an upcoming episode of the show. Just visit thegentlewomanboss.com and click on the contact tab at the top to email me. You can also follow me on social media at gentlewomanboss. And if you prefer to watch podcasts rather than just listen to the audio version, my episodes are also uploaded on my YouTube channel in video format as well. Click subscribe and when new episodes drop, they'll show up in your YouTube feed. It's super easy. So until next time, remember, always choose to be the gentlewoman or gentleman in the room. I'll see you soon for the next episode of the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast.